10 minutes, 10 days, 10 actions is brought to you by Two Summit Up. Expert sales tips and advice provided in a structured, bite-sized way for only £97. Learn how to improve your processes with 10-minute podcasts provided each day for 10 days, which you can listen to from the comfort of your own home, office or whilst out and about. For more information, visit twosummitup.co.uk forward slash 10 actions. You're listening to Go Fish, exclusively on the pod station. Welcome everyone to episode 43 of the Go Fish Marketing Tips podcast. My name's Mark Pollard and my business is Funky Vibes Marketing. Now each week we uh, try and delve into a topic within the marketing genre and hopefully come out with some tips that you can use for your business, whether it means that you can stretch your budget a bit further or you can get some more work and clients and customers and business and all the rest of it. Joining me as always are my fellow co-hosts, so we've got... uh, Chris Roxburgh from My Marketing Guy wearing a very red jumper today. How are we doing, Chris? Uh, good, thanks, Mark. Yes, good to be here. Looking forward to this one. Uh, in fact, my face matches your jumper. I have a radiator just by where I'm sat, and for some reason, and I'm looking at me clock, the timer seems to have switched the radiators on, and I'm wearing a jumper also. In fact, I'm wearing a polo neck. I don't know if you can see that. You are indeed. Uh, and so all of a sudden, my body temperature has gone into dangerous levels. But anyway, I feel I diverse. Um if you pass out halfway through, we'll know why at least. <laughs> it might improve the show, who knows. Also with us are our other fellow co-host who's been sitting patiently uh, with her new background with a QR code, which we have been debating avidly pre, pre-recording, uh, is the wonderful Elaine Afton from To Sum It Up. How are we doing, Elaine? I'm really good. Yes, I'm not wearing a red jumper and I am sitting with a QR code behind me, uh, which has caused great, great debate. <laughs> But it's lovely to be here anyway. Indeed. So if you uh, if you want to drop us a, a message on social media or on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn, or you can send an email to gofish at thepodstation.co.uk, let us know where you stand on QR codes. Are they the current mini disc of the world um, or is there still a place for them in our universe? You let us know. And when we hear from you, we'll let you know how our debate went. Of course, Thankfully, it wasn't a three-way debate. This was a slightly wider one because we have ourselves a special guest. So join us this week is Ian Brody. Um, Ian, how are you doing, my friend? I am very good. I'm all QR'd up. I presume you've got yours on the desk and we can't see it. Yeah, it's in, I'm, I'm starring in the new Channel 4 drama, QR as Folk, next. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I it's think you're it, wearing it in, in that shirt, Oh my word! She's just gone for your for your outfit, Ian. That That's outrageous. Terrible! I can't believe it. We don't normally treat guests like that. That's my, that's my special my special podcast shirt. Um, so, Ian, do you want to tell us a bit about what you do? Um, because that might give people a clue as to what we're going to be talking about later on in the show. 
Okay, pokey. Um, yeah, so uh, I run an online training business um, that uh, provides marketing and a little bit of sales, but mainly marketing training for consultants uh, and coaches and trainers, people like that. That helps them to get more clients. So um, that's really the focus. Uh, I'm reasonably well known because a few years ago I wrote a book called Email Persuasion, where I kind of shared because most of my business has been built through email marketing. And I shared some of the things I was doing and some of the latest techniques and trends and insights into email marketing. And it was pretty successful as a book. I think it's got a couple of hundred five-star reviews across the world. It's been translated into Russian. Um, although actually trying to get my royalties out of Russia is proving somewhat difficult. <laughs> well, that's going to be an interesting. We might have to get you back to give us an update on that. Oh, it's, it's mad. They needed they, they paid they paid me in advance, but then uh, for the ongoing royalties over and above the advance, I have to I have to send them an, uh, a special document that proves where I live. That a government official has signed for some reason to get the money out of Russia. So uh, that's not the world's easiest thing. And how does the conversation start for somebody to say, "Do you mind if we translate your book into Russian?" Yeah. Well, they don't ask, do they? The Russians. <laughs> 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 no, they did. They um, a publishing house, and I checked them because you know you get a you get an email from Russia saying we'd like we'd like to translate your book, and you wonder what on earth it is. But it what they did indeed turn out to be a, a legit publishing house when I googled them, and uh, and they were true to their word. They translated it. They came up with a nice cover for it, and obviously I haven't double checked the translation, not being an expert in Russian, but it seems to have done okay. Um, it's certainly enough okay that I've heard some royalties from it. Um, so it worked weirdly well um what we'll do is we'll stick a link to ian's book in the show notes and then you can buy it and choose whether you want it in english or russian (laughs) it's not for us to decide Um, so ian what topic are we going to be covering on today well, I thought QR codes, but apparently we have to talk about email marketing. So. <laughs> or Russian translations. Or Russian, yeah, Russian. Uh, yeah. I, think, yeah. I think I vote for swerving the Russian and the QR codes. I feel we've done them to death already. Let's stick with the email marketing. Okay. Uh, now, before we touch on that, we usually cover a relevant news story. Now, I was left with the responsibility of doing this, and then True to Form went exactly for something that was of particular interest to me and to hell with everyone else so um i came across an article which was talking about disney plus who are currently making a play for an older audience now i don't know whether any of you guys in fact well i say i don't know if any of you guys ian you admitted just before we pressed the record button that you have recently become a disney plus subscriber um you've welcome to my gang i got it as well um over christmas and um, because of course i am a comic book nerd and therefore the idea of watching all of the marvel and the star wars stuff and only having one place to be able to access it was a no-brainer for me um but this article was of particular interest because i am the kind of person who this marketing strategy is actually sort of aimed at because once you've watched and seen all the Star Wars and the marketing stuff and maybe a few odds and sods besides, um, there isn't an awful lot left on Disney that particularly appeals to me because watching Cartoon Mermaids and Singing Fish only goes so far with my attention span. Uh, So what they are doing is they've introduced a new channel and actually at the day of recording this, it's 24 hours on since they launched it. It's called Star, which is a a new section within the Disney Plus subscription package where you can watch adult stuff. And I don't mean that kind of adult stuff. I mean normal (laughs) 
<laughs> everyday viewing adult stuff so that people like me when we've we've canvassed all of the star wars and marvel stuff we could possibly get our hands on can actually watch other things beyond that and beyond obviously the cartoon stuff um, and i thought it was quite an interesting strategy because of course disney is traditionally associated with sort of the snow whites and the the um, uh, amazingly running short of ideas of Disney films, which perhaps says an awful lot about my my interest in these things, um, and have moved towards that older audience to capitalise on on that particular market. And I didn't know whether whether you had any thoughts, him as as a new subscriber, whether you'd face that same challenge. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I joined Disney Plus a couple of weeks ago, primarily because um, it was I was unable to have conversation with our eldest son unless I had. It was bombarding me with text messages. Say, Dad, just watch the latest One Division. Um, they're saying it's a bit like the House of M plotline, um, but I'm not quite sure. Sh- I have no idea what you're talking about, mate. So I was forced to to join because um, our, our conversations about football and the and the the um, the disaster that is Newcastle United it can only go so far. <laughs> so the rest of the the re- you know I wanted something more upbeat, and uh, so I joined I joined Disney Plus, and exactly as you said. You kind of look at it, and there, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. Maybe it's an age thing, but I would tend to only watch a film once, maybe twice, but only once. Um, I think kids have a, an infinite capacity of watching the same Disney movie a hundred times, and so they're quite happy with that. But as an adult, you, you know, you've watched them. I've, I've watched most of those films beforehand, so you, you come on and you, you watch the latest One Division, so you can talk to your kid, and then say, like, "What do I do next?" and I'm not sure whether I would I could justify paying a, a monthly fee. It's not a lot, but I'm not sure whether a monthly fee to watch one show every week is really worth it. So it's so I think it makes sense that they've introduced older programming um, because they're going. You know, retention is where it's at. Uh, I mean, by, even going back, I think I can't remember the uh, the date. I've got a book on my shelf from John Warrillow, who I interviewed donkeys years ago when he released the book about me- um, his book on membership, the automatic customer. And I think he got into it by because he was looking at how to value companies and a company that had a subscription base, a membership base, was something like three times as valuable as a company that didn't. So obviously Disney aren't stupid. They know that keeping subscribers hooked is important. And if you want an adult subscribers hooked, you have to offer something more than the same old films they can watch a hundred times, I guess. Absolutely. And Elaine, I guess this has solved your problem as a, a relatively new grandmother or uh, uh, is it granny uh, whichever is your preference grandma but grandma. you know that's fine I D- answer D- to them all. <laughs> disney plus will be a lifesaver when the terrible twos come along and you need just to sit sit them down in front of a telly and tell them to just watch that and leave them alone for two seconds <laughs> but of course it, it now allows for you to enjoy it when uh when your grandson isn't there yeah well Yes, interesting. We're we're on the super simple songs at the moment, which is driving us all absolutely bonkers. Which is um, on YouTube, so we watch, we just watch loads of them. Really, that, that's that's fine. We even sing them, you know, while we're making the tea and thinking, what on earth are we doing? <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, I sort of I sort of I get the subscribers thing. As as Ian said, it's it's massive, isn't it? And diversifying um, is is a great idea. I'm, I'm not really sure I'm ready to. I've, I've done the Disney thing years ago. I'm not re- sure I'm ready to sign up to anything else because I'm between watching Netflix and all the other stuff I'm watching. I don't think I need to add anything else to my TV repertoire at the moment. <laughs> 
And Chris, you will have been around when Snow White was first released, so beyond the nostalgia side of... I hadn't been born then. (laughs) So beyond the nostalgia uh, element of of watching it, um, have you decided to take the delve? Would this this intrigue you enough to take the delve and uh, into getting a subscription? Absolutely not, Mark, no, sorry. Um... So, sorry to be the odd one out, but it's not an unusual experience. Um, I, I'm more of a more of a CBBC uh, man with my grandchildren, you know, Ben <laughs> and Holly's Little Kingdom and uh, the Little Princess and uh, in the Night Garden, all that sort of thing. And I assume you watch that when they're not there, there as well. There's plenty there. You don't have to uh, spend even more money on your on your television viewing for, uh, yeah. for a Disney Channel. Well, we know who's the granddad who says no when the ice cream truck comes around then, don't we? <laughs> no, I'm first in the queue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forget the kids. Yeah, you just won't get one for the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, enough of that nonsense. Um, so let's move on with the topic of today. Now, Ian gave us a bit of an insight into that, which is email marketing. I suppose I'll start with you, Ian, and say, uh, does email marketing still exist? Of course, in this country, uh, the words GDPR, and if you don't know what GDPR is, you've probably got a big fine head in your way very soon. Um, but uh, since since that word came into our vocabulary, um, has it limited, has it stopped, has it just put people off the whole concept of email marketing? Um, so that's a good point. Um, I actually live down the road. I live um, just down the road from Wilmsdale, where the, the information commissioner is based. I've actually been to their offices um, to drop off my, you know, my annual. I think it was easier that I was in a coffee shop next door. I thought, why am I going to post this when they're just fifty yards away from me? So I just posted it through their thing. My my annual payment for having a database. Um, yeah. So GDP GDPR came in a few years ago now. Um, some people did stupid things. Some people still do stupid things. There hasn't been a lot of, of what we might call the, the email marketing that most of us do, which is permission-based email marketing, where we get people to sign up um, and then we send them hopefully useful emails that do include sales messages in them, but, but they find valuable. That kind of email marketing hasn't really changed a lot. You have to think about um, some of the admin side of it, like making sure you're not keeping the records too long making sure you properly get permission, but you should have already been doing that anyway. Um, in many ways, GDPR was trying to, it, it, it will have tightened up and, and pushed out the people who were doing things on the edges that weren't, you know, weren't the right things to do. But if you were being good and, you know, only collecting the right information, only emailing to people who'd signed up and willingly said they wanted something, then you wouldn't have had to have changed too much um, in terms of what you were doing. So yes, the email marketing is still alive. I just looked up, um, the Direct Marketing Association in the UK does a return on investment calculation on all the different forms of, uh, of marketing every year. Um, and the last one was from 20, 2020, um, where the return on investment for email marketing was, I think, 36 to 1 or something like that, which is which is massive. We'll talk later about whether that really means anything. But um, it, it hasn't really changed that much. It usually varies between about 35 and 42, something like that, year on year, depending on how they measure it. So it, it's still there. Um, you know, some people have been have been caught from from uploading, you know, have been fined for mis for breaking the rules, but not a lot of people because I think most of us who do email marketing tend to do it in a pretty ethical way anyway. It's just the spammers, um, and the spammers don't follow the rules anyway. So the in a way, the rules have made it a little bit more painful 
a kind of cost of compliance increased for those of us who follow the rules and the spammers have just carried on spamming right um chris you have quite a bit of experience in the the email marketing direct marketing area uh, do you is this something you still invest a, a good amount of time in or is this something that's sort of yeah. taking a bit more of a backseat to social media i think well it, it's it's definitely what not one of my it's not something i offer as a as a marketeer i'll i'll uh, because it became it became a bit of a minefield to to be fair um i've done it i still do it and you know my sad little tale about managing to absolutely decimate my email marketing list when uh, immediately before gdpr <clears throat> when i when i said listen if i don't hear from you i'll assume uh. you, i'll use, i'll assume you don't want uh, that you've opted out and um most of them opted out didn't they well i think the problem at that time was that every single business on the face of the earth was sending similar emails and your inbox was festooned with them on a daily basis and and to be frank the advice was was pretty bad that the the people were, were were being given even like the official advice was well if people haven't if if here are the new gdpr criteria and people have to have actively opted in if they haven't, you need to get them to re-opt in. Yeah. Um, and it made it sound like they had to have ticked every box from the new GDPR. Um, now, as it happened, I ended up on the phone to a guy from the ICO and said, well, look, here's the way pe- my folks opted in. They went to a website. They filled in a form to say they wanted to sign up, etc. It's not 100% GDPR compliant because I didn't have a link to my terms and my privacy policy from there no. because we didn't know we had to do it back in the day. I had a privacy policy, but I didn't have links on the opt-in form. Um, and I didn't mention my name, but on the other hand, my name's on the website. And the guy said, yeah, that'll be okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but that wasn't the official policy. No, you know, When you spoke to them oh, informally, which very few people did. I mean, as I say, I live close to them, so I, did, I, felt, I felt like I ought to. Um, and obviously, email marketing, I've written a book on it. I felt I ought to perhaps know about it. <laughs> um, it might, be, might, might be, make sense. But most people went by the official rule. The official rule said, well, if they haven't completely, you haven't complied. Well, of course, no one had complied with GDPR before no. GDPR because it didn't exist. No. And a whole load of people, as you as you just mentioned there, Chris, wrote to their lists, you know, please re-opt in, all that kind of stuff. And and mostly people didn't because they haven't got the energy to do that a hundred times. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Elaine, you do email marketing now. Do you still work, or are you working from a subscriber list that sort of predates gdpr or is this something you either started after or is this even something that got decimated in the same way that chris has just described there yeah no i exactly i remember i even remember it was may 2018 so i remember what it was and it was exactly that that you that people had to opt in and there was you know particular steps of things you had to do so i did do that I did end up with some lists left, which I'm very grateful for, and I've built it since then. Um, so, you know, I've got a number of lists for different things. But so, yes, I do use it. it by any stretch of the imagination, it could be a hell of a lot better than it is. But um, but it, I have got one to build on, shall we say. And the thing to bear in mind, I think, is, you know, if, if we're talking about 2018, if people... If if people are not responding and not replying, you I mean when by the reopting lost a lot of people that we shouldn't have lost, but mm-hmm. it also lost people who maybe weren't going to respond anyway. So yes. yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so that leads me nicely on to the next question, Ian, which is uh, if people's email lists have been decimated or aren't as strong as they were or perhaps they're trying to build one up and they're facing some challenges in getting people to sign up which is something that we'll come on to in a second where does that email marketing as a tool stand as against social media um, and other marketing sources um, I th- well, I think it's very person specific because, you know, the, you could argue in theory, I mentioned the direct marketing association calculations of 35 to one ROI better than anything else. But in many ways, that's misleading because email marketing doesn't stand on its own. So email marketing itself is kind of like the end of the marketing process. You don't get just doing email marketing doesn't get you new people. Where did those subscribers come from in the first place? They probably came from some of your other marketing methods. Yeah. They came from your pay, you know, your paid ads or your social media and that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, it's misleading to say what's the ROI of email marketing because all they're doing is taking the email marketing system cost, dividing it by the returns you get. Well, email is tends to be the last click before the sale and the, the email systems tend not to be very costly. The real cost was the time and money you spent getting the subscribers in the first place. So you should really consider email as part of a wider, you know, like portfolio of marketing you're doing. Um, and you, you can only ever do it in combination with other types of marketing. You can't just do email marketing on its own because you wouldn't have a subscriber base. So I think that's important to recognize. You have to do it with other stuff. Um, and it depends on it depends on you. So, you know, email does um, does work. I mean, we know that whenever you look at data, you know, the usually the last click before a sale online is much more likely to come from an email than from any other source. We do know it has a very high ROI if you calculate it like that. So it does work but you need to use it in conjunction and you need to think about, well, for me, if email marketing is going to work, I need some way of getting subscribers. Um, and that might be, you know, using some kind of paid advertising or it may be doing social or, a, you know, wh- whatever it might be. Um, and then I have to write regularly. One of the key things I think about email marketing, I guess if you look at, if you look at a simple um, example and they did this, I can't remember the source of the study. It was a little while ago, but they looked at um, Google AdWords and sending people to a sales page versus sending people to an email sign-up and then following up with emails. And they found they got, I think, overall, about twice as many sales from the email sign-up and then the follow-up. But it's very situation-specific. There are some circumstances, like an impulse purchase, where people will buy straight away, and you don't want them to get an email sign-up and then, you know, because two weeks later they're not interested in buying. On the other hand, some things are more of a long-term sale. So firstly, if you... Email is better usually if you're in the long-term business where you need to build a relationship and you need to build credibility and trust. If what you sell is something that people buy really quickly and you don't need much of a relationship first, then you probably don't need such an emphasis on email marketing. You want to get them straight to the sales page. But if it's more of a long-term thing, you do you do want kind of email marketing. But the implication of that is you need to be emailing them on a regular basis to build that relationship. Just getting them on an email list and then sending them a few sales pitches is not building a relationship no. and it's not building the credibility and trust that people need to be ready to buy from you. So email is only going to work for you if you have the time and the energy and the interest in emailing something useful to them on a regular basis. So I think you have to weigh it up in, in parallel with other things you're going to be doing and it, does it fit my sort of business and am I going to put into it the investment needed to get the subscribers and the regular emailing? And there's no point in building an email list and then never emailing them. So unless you're going to do that, and I don't mean that to sound like, oh, you're an idiot if you don't do that. Some people are not 
you know, are not suited to do, to the systemization of every week I'll write an email or, or no. twice a week I'll write an email and coming up with that content. And if that's not you, then you're probably better off with other forms of marketing. Yeah. And what type of emails, uh, Chris and Elaine, uh, would you suggest? Because obviously Ian's touched on a good point there, which is if you're not sending stuff, it's kind of a moot point anyway. Uh, but there are different types of emails you can be sending to these people on your list uh, with content. So what, what kind of emails do you send to your your lists? Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I send promotional emails to try to fill up my webinars and it, it works. Um, <clears throat> it, it worked better before uh, GDPR, but, <laughs> but nevertheless, um, it, it, it still works. And the other, the other element is uh, hints and tips, you know, try to be useful to people, try to uh, uh, give them information. In other words, displaying your own knowledge of your own subject, but without without overtly selling so I'll, I'll mix it between between the two and you elaine blogs newsletters yeah um pretty much the same really i i do because i do my podcast as well that's always part of what i send out each week so people can see who's up and coming on that so that's a, that sort of works quite well uh, and then the posts and i do you know like most of us i do repurpose so i'll do something on one platform and um and then do it you know use it in another way so i do send out some sort of weekly message via my blog via my uh, to my email list but then of course i've got an online program so that also sort of feeds as well into an email list so there's uh, there's a number of different things i think that's the point isn't that there is you haven't necessarily just got one email list either uh, it's but it's as ian says it's making sure whatever you have you use because it is an investment of time without question it's an investment of time and if you're not you know there's no point in having the list if you're not actually going to keep in touch with the list uh but there's i know he's going to touch on some of these things so i don't want to um dip into that but it's it's like what makes people open them is always the big intrigue isn't it it's the million dollar question well <laughs> well before we get to the open it we, we've danced around the slightly more important point which is do you have a list and if not how the <laughs> hell do you get yourself a list i mean it's probably the million dollar question ian because i could probably count well pretty much every single client who comes to me and mentions the words email marketing usually follows it up with, yeah, I want to, I want to get loads of people and I want to send loads of emails to loads of people, but they don't actually have the loads of people part of that mm -hmm. sentence. So how do they resolve that? Fix the world for us, Ian. Yes. Well, I think the, I think the answer is if you want to do it right, it's, it's not, it's not easy and it's not an overnight. And people, that's when people begin to get into, oh, can I just buy a list? Not really. That's going to be difficult. Um, but I think the first thing to say, and this is going to, without trying to trivialize it, is the most important factor if you want to build an email list is to prioritize building an email list. So what I mean by that is you'll see some people, as they say, they'll come to you and say, well, I haven't really got a list. I want to get lots of subscribers. If you then went to their website, you know, you'd have to search for half an hour to find an email sign-up form. And it would yeah. just say, you know, subscribe to my newsletter. There's no real motivation to do it. So the first thing is kind of taking it seriously in a way and saying, well, look, if I really want to build a list, then I've got to put some effort into it and I've got to make it important. So, you know, um, it doesn't mean you have to make it the, there may be other priorities. So on my website, the very top of it, when you first go there, the number one thing you'll see is an incentive to sign up to my email list. That's because I, mine's a long-term business and people don't buy instantly. 
and the and but also it's not the kind of business where people talk to me on the phone and hire me. Um, you know, they join my membership program. So in other businesses, the, the most important thing might be you want them on the phone to talk to you. So the, the thing at the top above the phone might be a, you know might be a a link to call you or to fill in a form or something like that to contact you. So it doesn't have to be an email thing, but it needs to be high up if you want. You want people to sign up your email list. It needs to be prioritized at number one or two on your website. And, you know, is there some kind of link in your email signature when you email normal people? Do you do you send people to your to your sign up page or to a page where people are given the chance to sign up regularly when you post stuff on social media? If you post a blog post, um, if people went to that blog post, would they just read it or would, you know, in the first line, would it say, by the way, if you want more of this stuff? sign up here or on the sidebar or a little pop-up or whatever. You want to avoid annoying the heck out of people. I mean, these days you go to some websites and you can't see the content for so many different pop-ups for so many different things. That's counterproductive, I think. Um, but you don't want to go the other way where it's almost impossible to get on your email list. Um, so prioritize it is, is the first thing. And you do see people leaving it and it's, it's, it's hidden away like they're almost embarrassed about it. Second big thing, I think, is having an incentive. So, you know, it's fine to, and, you know, 20 years ago, having an email newsletter was a bit of a novelty. So people would go, oh, a newsletter, I'll sign up for one of those. But of course, every this we just got overwhelmed with newsletters and emails these days. So you need some kind of incentive for people to sign up usually. I mean, if you're world famous, you know, if you, if you were a world famous superstar, you can get away with just saying sign up for regular emails from me. People go, oh, yes. You know, if it was a if, if if Stanley was still alive, I'm sure you would jump on his email newsletter without any further incentive, Mark. Of course. But most of us are most of us are not in that position. So we need to offer some kind of an incentive and immediate payback. And you you we call that a lead magnet or a freebie or whatever. Um, but usually it's good to have something that is very valuable that you give away for free in return for people signing up. You have to be careful about how you word that and how you do that with GDPR. Um you know, the the I would say, and you know, you, other people might argue with me. I would say you don't have to have separate tick boxes and signups for your lead magnet as your newsletter list, as long as they serve the same purpose. If they're separate, you you do. But if you know, like if for mine, I give away a free marketing blueprint that teaches you how to do better online marketing, um, and and in that blueprint, it also talks about my services and how I can help you. My emails you get as a follow up. I teach people how to do better online marketing and it offers my service. It's exactly the same purpose. And GDPR defines different signups are needed for different purposes. So you have to make sure your lead magnet serves the same purpose as your ongoing emails. If the, if the lead magnet was, you know, sign up for this free report on making videos and then you promoted services about something completely different, that wouldn't work. You need a separate sign up for them. Um, but GDPR aside, you need to offer something that's really perceived to be very high value. So if people see it, they go, oh, I want that. I'm going to sign up right away because an email sign up typically is not a it's not a considered decision. People don't sit there mulling over. Should I sign up for these regular emails for a couple of days and then come back to it? They've got you know, they've got to make the decision then and there. So it needs to appear to be really valuable. Um, and then when they get it it really should be really valuable. I know we've probably all signed up for stuff that appeared to be really valuable and you get it and it's the same old crap you've seen a hundred times before. Well, that's no good either because then you're either going to unsubscribe or you're going to start ignoring the emails and you feel it. You've, they've almost set back their reputation. So they've got your email, they've got you on their list, but now you think they're an idiot or they're just trying to cheat you or, or whatever. 
So it hasn't built the kind of credibility and trust that most of us are looking for. So it needs to have perceived value and it needs to have real value. Um, and it needs to have perceived and real value to the right people. So you can get a load of people on your email list by offering free money, but it will probably be the wrong sort of people. You need something that appeals to your people who you want to, you know, who are the sort of people who would buy your services or your products. And that sounds a bit trivial, the free money bit, but um, the a more, more practical example might be if you, um, if the kind of service you offer is a long-term transformation for your clients, then you might want to think twice about offering a quick win as a lead magnet because a quick win lead magnet, you know, do this quick thing and get this immediate result. That's great, but it kind of attracts people who want quick wins. And if then the service you offer takes six months to get any results because it's really changing their business at a deep level or them personally at a deep level, maybe a better lead magnet for you might be to show them a blueprint of what the overall transformation is, which might attract less people, but it might attract the people really interested in transforming rather than the people interested in a quick win. The brain processes nearly 10,000 visual and oral cues per minute. As first impressions stick, make the customer see your business in the right way. Funky Vibes can ensure your vibes attract the right tribe with their marketing expertise, graphic design, bespoke websites and social media packages. For more information or a no-commitment initial consultation, simply email your tribe at funkyvibe.co.uk and will does that essentially tie into how do you get people to open and read the emails because one assumes if you do the first bit right the second bit should follow yeah, yeah yes yes and no i mean i think if we the, the, there's I'm, I'm quite one something i'm really quite interested in the minute is kind of the science of attention because if you think about it our job in marketing is is got to be to get people's attention and to hold people's attention it's in such, such short supply um, and one of the rules of um, generally, I mean, there's no completely accepted model of attention, but one simple model is is that it comes in three parts as immediate, short and long. So immediate attention is if you hear a loud bang, you turn and look at it. It's, you know, something out of the ordinary, something new, something different is what immediately attracts your attention. And then you look at it and you think, well, should I be actually paying attention to it? And that tends to be curiosity that drives that. Was that interesting? Should I... But then the long-term attention, which I guess was what we're talking about, that comes from repeated value. So if, if as you just as you said, if you give someone a, a free report or a checklist or a video or whatever it might be, and it's very valuable and they find it really useful, then yes, indeed, they're more likely to open your emails as a result. Um, and that will that kind of halo effect will probably continue for the first few emails. If your follow-up emails are all crap, though, they're going to, you know, start not paying attention so your follow-up emails i always see your first email is the most important one because that you know if people read that and it's brilliant if they go whoa that i got a load from that they're probably likely to open your next and your next and your next gives you a little bit of leeway for having one email that wasn't perfect and getting away with it as it were that you could if you have a really great first one but by and large it the you know sending good emails is what people makes you open your next emails is probably the first rule but you also have to deal with other sorts of attention as well. So on top of good emails, you have to recognize you're sitting in the inbox there um, and people are scanning down and there's a lot of stuff going on in their inbox and your email has to kind of stand out. So it, it comes to, comes down to it in addition to your reputation because they're going to notice, oh, it's an email from Ian. Those are normally good. I'll open that. But while you're still trying to establish that reputation, if your email can look different, so dealing with that immediate 
attention of it stands out and looks different, or if it can invoke curiosity, the, the short attention thing, then it's likely to get more opened than, uh, than, than other people's. And we can, we can jump into that if you want, in terms of invoking curiosity and standing out in the inbox. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, certainly for the inbox element of it, when you've got a big long list, I, I presume that's very much orientated around the subject element. It, it, it is, although I think it's worth bearing in mind these days, most email inboxes also show a little preview of the first line of the email or what they call the pre-header. You can, on email marketing systems, you can actually change that so the bit that appears, like in Gmail, you get the subject and then you get a, a maybe 20 words from, from the pre-header. By default, the pre-header is the first few lines of the email, but you can change it to say anything you want. And it's worth playing around with that um, to help increase your open rates. But yes, by and large, it's after your name, it's the subject line that kind of catches people. Okay. Um, Chris, Elaine, uh, which which emails have you found have been particularly effective when you've sent w- ones that have been opened on a, a on a more successful basis? Well, I used to have a very, <clears throat> very good, what I regarded as a very good open rate uh, of around about 24, 25%, which um, I was led to believe at that time that 21, 22 was the norm. Um, now, I put that down to literally the subject line. Um, the, the the subject line for me was all important, and it was about pricking somebody's curiosity. So I put something like, well, a favourite of mine was discover the secret to, of of LinkedIn. Uh, d- discover discover the LinkedIn secrets. I'm sorry. Because discover is a, an emotive word, and secrets is um, is another one that uh, that that works. Putting them both together for me worked like a dream. Um, that was the secret. That was the se- <laughs> that was the secret at that time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And Elaine, what about you? I I love um, a great open line. Uh, you know, a, a one line that that grabs people's attention. I'm, I'm the sucker, absolute sucker for that. So when I see that, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to read it. And um, so I'd, I'd love to come out with some quirky ones if I can. And so I think the um, one of the ones I, re- I remember was, uh, was something like, uh, oh, that's it. I've had enough. And um, it was like, because people are like, oh, Oh God! What's happened? And it was that sort of intrigue. Um, so things like that. I just, yeah. I think the more creative you can be, for me anyway, because I think that sort of goes with my style of message too. It, it that's what generally works. I must be quite a difficult person Ian, to get the attention for, because I find my email inbox just exhausting. It's it's one of those things that there's constantly things dropping in from from clients and and it, then if you added to the mix emails not clients, not clients surely yeah <laughs> how awful i know well you know you get you get a constant barrage of emails from all sources and that's ignoring the messages you get from everywhere else on your your various different platforms so how do you get people to to like certainly people like me perhaps to sort of zone in on those? I mean, you've just you just mentioned sort of the pre-header type things, but what happens if that gets if I do come across that and I'm I'm sort of giving it a cursory view? How do we get me to move on to that next stage? 
Well, I think both Chris and Elaine have, have hit on a couple of key points there. It goes, it goes back to what I was saying about immediate attention and short attention. Immediate attention is drawn by something that's different, that stands out. It's kind of evolutionary. You know, we're trained to, if we see an, an orange and black animal moving amongst the green bushes, we think, oh, maybe I ought to do something about that. It might kind of eat me. Um, and so using Elaine's example, um, what, what was the, the subject line you used? That's it, I've had enough. Uh, that's it, I've had enough, yeah. So if you think... You probably don't see that as a subject line all that often in your email inbox. Um, and there's a famous case of um, um, Obama's re-election campaign for his second election. Um, he had a lot of good email markers. Most of their, their um, donations came through email marketing. A lot of it did. And they, they measured which subject lines ha res resulted, not just in the most opens, but in the most donations. And the one that was the most successful for them was just an email subject line that said, hey, that was it. And I think that was the remarkableness of seeing Barack Obama. I think it was Barack and Michelle Obama as the from and the word, hey. And it just like, what, Barack wants to say hey to me? And you <laughs> so you open it. So because yeah. it stands out. Now, since then, every email marketer under the sun has used the subject line, hey. And it doesn't stand out anymore because everybody uses it. But at the time, and spammers it was, use it, it now, don't they? Yeah, spammers <laughs> use it, etc. But that is what one thing I think. Uh, I've sometimes called it hyper casual language. So just using an email subject line, something that you might shout to a friend, as opposed to something that you might write more formally. So that's it. I've had enough. Or you know, damn. Or sorry. Sometimes works. The one thing with those type of emails is you have to deliver on what you said. So I remember getting an email donkeys years ago. It was a promotional email and it said, social media doesn't work. And um, I, I remember going, oh, what do you mean social media? It was from a social media guru. Oh, what do you mean it doesn't work? And I opened up the email and the email made the startling revolution. Social media doesn't work unless you do it right. And it's like, oh, oh, never realized. Oh, there was me thinking social media worked if you did it wrongly. And it just, you know, it, it completely let down yeah. the subject line. If he'd been, and it was cowardly. Because it's using a yeah. kind of baby subject line, but without delivering any meat. If the guy had gone, social media doesn't work if you do this or this or this or this. And some techniques that people did use that he yeah. didn't think worked. If he'd actually said something meaningful, great. But just saying it doesn't work if you don't do it right. Of course it doesn't work if you don't do it right. There's nothing in it. So you have to deliver on the promise. So Elaine's, you know, that's it, I've had enough. The email subject line couldn't be, you know, that's it, that's it, I've had enough of beans on toast or whatever. It's not meaningful. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be something meaningful to the people yeah. reading it. So that's one. That's the hyper-casual. I'm not sure I could put in the subject matter the things I shout to my friends. That's <laughs> just a prelude to that. I, you never know. I mean, they'll get blocked by some spam filters, I suppose, if they're too much profanity in there. But doing, taking a little risk and using something that, you know, wouldn't normally be said, I think does work. You can't overdo it. You know, every every yeah. email subject line can't be a one word, two word, because people then re people spot the pattern and yeah. they, they feel it's being used to just kind of bait them to open it. Yeah. On LinkedIn at the minute, people have taken the habit of writing one line and then leaving a couple of blank lines. So you have to click more to see what they mean. And that's like, okay, that tells the LinkedIn algorithm people are interested. In, you know, but eventually you just get sick of it. It's like, oh, just say what you mean, don't make, or the whole thing about, you know, um, respond yes to, and I'll tell you the details and stuff. It's like, okay, that worked once, but the hundredth time, just tell me what you wanted to say. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's a personal rant. Um, but the, uh, but that kind of, that kind of, you know, really standing out by being different. 
And you can do that by looking in your own inbox. Pro it's always a good idea to subscribe to the same sort of emails or at least have a mailbox that subscribes to the same sort of emails that your clients and customers are likely to subscribe to. So you can see what they're seeing and then try and make yours look different to what they're seeing. And that'll make it stand out. But I think you also still need that. That being different is important. But you also need that curiosity for people to take the next step that Chris was mentioning. So that, that, that phrase like, you know, discover and... Did you say surprising, Chris, the surprising LinkedIn and, you know, words like unexpected, surprising. I find a good yeah. one is real. The real reason you're not getting sales and people, yeah. oh, what is the real reason? <laughs> so words like that. So, so essentially curiosity adjectives, having those yeah. words. in. But again, you've got to deliver on it. You can't say the real reason, you know, LinkedIn doesn't work for you. And then when it when it when they open it up, it's the ones they expected. If you're promising something surprising, you have to have something <laughs> yeah. surprising. I suppose that rules out the meaning of life is dot, dot, dot. <laughs> you could use it, but you really would have to deliver the meaning of life. Otherwise, people would stop, stop tuning in. I'm not, that's a, that's a, tall, a tall ask. I'll just on what you said there. I think the whole point of it, though, is, is we've all subscribed to things and we've all deleted a huge number of things, particularly probably, you know, during this last year. I think the point is I only now subscribe to the people I want to hear from. So that's what happens, isn't it? It doesn't matter. Yes, a great line is like, oh, this is interesting. And that'll work a few times. But actually, eventually you will unsubscribe if you think this is actually not bringing nothing to my yet. life here. Yeah, um, you, you, there are some yeah. people who put, who put so much effort in the subject line and then no effort into the yeah. body. Um, you've, got to, you've got to also put effort in the body. But other, other curiosity stuff, um, I love Schadenfreude, the German word for, you know, or joy in other people's misfortune and that really works some of my most successful emails have been things like my worst email ever and i always like to capitalize a word in my worst email ever my worst sales meeting ever in cover and those work really well and you then tell the story of your worst ever sales yeah. meeting and people really want to hear about it no one wants to hear about my best sales meeting ever yawn <laughs> but my worst sales meeting ever what disasters befell ian when he was trying to sell something they really now obviously you don't want every email to be about your biggest disaster because then people begin to get the impression that you'd have nothing but disasters and ideally it's a bit in the past and you've you're going to show them how you learned from it yeah. and you don't make the same mistakes again but that kind of disaster type one that's always gets a good open rate um demonstratives I, I it's the first time i've ever remembered the word but i like to use demonstratives <laughs> because Demo, I, I, I was talking to a client about it it turns out she used to be an english teacher so she remembered the word not me but words like um these and that are demonstratives they stand in for a word so if you have a, one of the most famous adverts in um, direct marketing uh, history in the newspapers is do you make these mistakes in english and the nice thing about it is if you read a headline that says do you make mistakes in english your answer mentally is yes or no. You know, yes, I do. No, I don't. And you go no further. But if the headline is, do you make these mistakes in English, your mental process is, what mistakes? Yeah. And then you start reading to see what the mistakes are. So using the word these or, you know, um, this, is the, this is the one missing ingredient in your LinkedIn profile. It immediately invokes curiosity. And what is? What, what, you're filling in the gap from the word um so that works quite well it's the same way that you know seven success secrets you think what seven but i think this and that work better demonstratives work a little bit better um and i think the other the other one i use quite a lot is kind of surprising links so this would be where you link something people want to know about with something they wouldn't expect so for example um this is one i, I brainstormed with a client the other day we do uh, gordon ramsay's leadership secrets 
So she was a leadership coach um, and she wanted to write an email about leadership. And we ended up thinking just off kind of top of our heads, really. Well, who wouldn't you associate with leadership who is nonetheless quite interesting? And randomly, Gordon Ramsay's name came up. And I just thought, well, of course, Gordon Ramsay knows nothing about leadership. He just did that idiot sandwich thing. That's not good leadership. But she said, no, actually, when you think about it, there are some really good aspects of the way Gordon Ramsay works with restaurants and the people on his show that are good leadership. Um, so, you know, if you saw an email subject line, Winston Churchill's leadership secrets, you'd probably go, oh, yo, and I've, people have, you know, I've heard of, seen a million Winston Churchill leadership secrets, but Gordon Ramsay's leadership secrets or, you know, or, you know, Charlie Chaplin's leadership secrets or whatever, someone you wouldn't expect, you go, oh, I wonder what those are. And then you yeah. go and have a look. And again, you've got to deliver on it. You've got to come up with some real leadership secrets from Gordon Ramsay that you've picked out. You'll probably open it with, you know, he's not known for his leadership. <laughs> and he's not exactly the perfect paragon, but there are some things that Gordon Ramsay does that actually all leaders could learn from. Boom, 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 boom. And then you bring that out. So that kind of surprising element works well as well, I think. With 22 million UK users, LinkedIn offers a fabulous opportunity to find your ideal clients and to stay ahead of your competition. But what do these future clients currently find when they visit your profile? First impressions count. So, are you proud of your fantastic profile because it is client ready and written with them in mind? Or do you look at it and wonder how you could do better because you are not generating leads? My Marketing Guy works with those who want to take advantage of the amazing potential offered by LinkedIn. So, for more details, please email guy at mymarketingguy.co.uk to arrange an initial consultation. Remember, your next client is on LinkedIn. Um, does the content need to be very much geared towards... Um, Ultimately, people are trying to get people to buy their products or their services. But as always, and we say this on a regular basis, um, you've got to approach things from a, a slightly different perspective to suit what the product or the service you're you're trying to sell. Because one assumes it's the same with email marketing. If you're, I don't know, say selling holidays, then a, a regular email shop might get faster sales than perhaps say our marketing services where you might need to build a more of a relationship before they decide that they want to sign on the dotted line. I, I think that's true. You absolutely have to think about your own particular service and some businesses can be more direct. I mean, the reason, you know, if someone has signed up for discount codes, coupons, they're probably more interested in a purchase than they are in your wisdom on something. On the other hand, as you say, your marketing services. And again, you, you have to think about, um, you have to think about who you're trying to attract. This is an important point with something like a service business where you're doing it for them. So in my case, for example, I don't do marketing for people. They, they buy marketing training. And that's actually very different to someone hiring a, someone to do their marketing for them. Because in, in my case, I want someone who wants to do it themselves. And in, if you have marketing services, you don't want someone who wants to do it themselves. You want someone who wants to hire someone to do it for them. So in my case, if I give away tips on marketing, that's great because my audience of people who want to do it themselves want tips. If you have a service um, where you do marketing for people, it's a little bit dodgier to just give away tips because if someone wants to hire someone, do they want tips? Well, maybe they do, but maybe maybe a better tip to give them is how to how, you know how to how to look out for a rogue marketer who's going to steal your money. You know how to hire the right person, that kind of thing. That's the kind of tip they need um, because they're not going to be doing the marketing themselves. Now it depends on. 
depends on how much they probably do some themselves so think about what are they going to do themselves and give them tips on that what do they hire someone else for and in that case give them tips on hiring someone how to how to spot you know the right person who's good for working with you how to spot a rogue for example that might be more useful so you really do have to think about what am i selling and therefore what information would be valuable to people so with holidays in the in the off season it might be you know getting them excited about wonderful destinations if your particular audience is interested in something new and they're always looking for the place to go where no one else has been then you can talk about that you know here's a, you know the top 5 unspoiled holiday destinations um for 2022 or or whatever um on the other hand if they're in it kind of the, if they just signed up for a voucher code on a on on a, on a bit on a fashion item here's what's hot and selling right now might be the you know here's what all the fashionable people are wearing right now might be more interesting and and get them to click through for you and for those of us who do long term stuff i think you also have to be quite subtle about it because you have to think well if someone's going to hire me to do marketing for them for example rather than just you know give them a useful tip pitch them my services give them a useful tip pitch them my services i think the thing to think about is if someone is right on the brink of buying from me what what are they what are they got to be thinking at the time what are they got to be feeling about me what what do i want to get into their head and their heart by the time they're ready to buy from me so if someone's going to hire you as a marketing consultant for example you know what what do they need to have well they, they probably need to need to believe they have a problem that they can't solve themselves they probably need to believe it's quite an important issue you know that's worth a lot of money to them for example they probably have to think they can trust you to you know that you get good results from your services they trust you you'd be a good person to work with that what you do is probably different to the previous marketing consultant they hired who let them down or whatever so if you think about it, if you kind of list all those things you've probably got a, a list of you know three four five things people need to believe before they'll plonk their money down and be ready to buy from you and then you work back and think well how can i weave those into my emails but you can't just stick them in i mean you like the fact that i'm a nice guy to work with you can't send an email that says guess what i'm a nice guy to work with nobody's going to be really that interested in that they probably won't believe gonna... it as well if you're writing it <laughs> yeah, yourself yeah, right. <laughs> i'm a brilliant guy you, you should absolutely yeah. trust me i'm a genius you should work with me yeah they won't believe it <laughs> Um, it's like the magician holding up a pack of cards and saying, this is a perfectly ordinary pack of cards. Yeah, right. <laughs> People don't believe it if you tell them. If if the guy shuffles the cards and hands them out to an audience member and the audience member shuffles them, you then think, oh, right, that's, that's an ordinary pack of cards. So you've got to be a bit more subtle like that. You've got, you've got to demonstrate, not claim. So the fact you're a nice guy to work with and you get good results, maybe when you give them a tip about LinkedIn, you wrap it up in a story about a client who you who you gave the tips to and how they improved their LinkedIn profile and three days later they had you know two new clients or maybe yeah. a more realistic yeah. story than that um you still give the tips but you tell it as a story that subtly illustrates the point you want to get across yeah and yeah. and you get things across in different ways so you know if you want to make make people aware of the the fact that this is a big problem or a big opportunity then maybe like we did at the start of this um this podcast um we talked about does email marketing really work and we quoted a st- statistic about a 35 to 1 ROI so that kind of shows that email is u- is useful so then people might be oh maybe I ought to be doing it should i should i listen to this guy you you demonstrate you know what you're talking about but hopefully also in the way you write your emails and stuff like that you, you, if you if you write them in a relatively lighthearted and friendly way it shows people you're a relatively lighthearted and friendly person and maybe you'd be a good person to work with you kind of want your own personality to come through the emails i mean if you really are a randy angry person there are plenty of people who want to work with randy angry people 
it's best not to write a light-hearted, friendly email. And then when they meet you in person, you're a ranty, angry person. <laughs> best to make your emails reflect who you are. So, Chris, do you repress your ranty angerness when you send out your emails? <laughs> no, but I tell you what, I know a bloke who that that applies to. He's an absolute horror, absolute horror. But he's popular, and mm. I don't, I don't get it. He's horrible, and and, and the more he's horrible. <laughs> the more people seem to engage with him and um, fawn over him, and oh, that's just—it's not fair, is it, Chris? You put all that effort into being horrible, and you're nowhere near as popular as he is. <laughs> I'm nowhere near as horrible as he is. <laughs> that must be the reason. But that's—I uh, suppose the, the danger. The, I mean, that, that kind of kind of what you can see that it works. So yeah, the danger is if he's not really horrible by this behind the scenes, then he's going to have a whole load of customers. Oh, you can imagine so, people being be de- devastated when he actually speaks. He's kind of you're not horrible at all. In fact, you're really. Not, I don't want to do business with you. And they're probably really horrible as customers as well. So he'll have horrible yeah. customers yeah. that he's not horrible enough to. But if he is really horrible, then the, you know, fair enough. To him, he was honest about it, and he got the customer. You kind of get the customers your communication deserves, don't you? Yes. You yes. communicate yeah. in a horrible way. You get people who appreciate horrible people. It's yeah. similar to you know, if your marketing is all full of hype and exaggeration, I think you tend to get naive people who believe the hype. And again, mm. they may not be the best customers. Uh, certainly, uh, they're not the kind of people most of us would want as customers. Um, so that is one thing. I, that it's it's a good point you brought out about letting your own personality. Mm. come out in your emails because then you will attract the sort of people who actually you're suited to working with yeah yeah yeah, yeah let, your vi- let your vibe attract your tribe that's what i say Mark. <laughs> oh that's a good <laughs> phrase well done well done yeah, only the best people use that phrase don't they chris I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> if you, it's all right, Ian. If you go to www.funkyvibes.co.uk, you'll see it's blattered on the header. I'm pretty certain. All right, it's already there. <laughs> yeah, that that was the tongue-in-cheek joke, Ian. It's Mark's line that Chris has just quoted. Oh, oh. was it really? <laughs> He's one of my disciples, Ian. You've just got to accept all this right, is how it is. Enough. Sometimes I'm one of the. I'm probably the horrible person he was talking about. Right. <laughs> Although I don't. I still Still don't think I'm popular, so maybe that's where I didn't apply in that that analogy. Um, so, um, what we we've got? What what are the latest trends in email marketing at the minute? How can people sort of tap into this? What sort of approaches should they be coming at with to to sort of achieve some of the things that we've chatted about today? Okay, I mean that. I think, I mean, email is one of those things where, thankfully, it's kind of perennial in that a lot of what's good has always been good. You know, the kind of writing we've been talking about, the get, invoking curiosity. There's a kind of trend in terms of always keep an eye on what everybody else is doing and try and do something a little bit different. So um, just so you stand out. But I think there's two big trends at the minute, I think. And one I'm going to steer people away from and one I'm going to steer people towards. So the, the trend I'd steer people away from is the, that I spend a lot of time worrying about is automation. And email is becoming more and more a kind of marketing automation thing uh, with intelligence built in. Um, so most of the email platforms are adding more and more automation features so that, you know, instead of just send an email, send an email, send an email, you send an email. If they click this, then register their interest in that and send them a different email about that and blah, blah, blah. And this is all good. This is all good stuff. The more you can send emails based on exactly what people are interested in, their behaviors, etc., the better. But it's bloody complicated. 
and that's the you know the, the I mean you, you see this all the time I, I, there's a, a big trend in website stuff about um, personalizing the website to the visitor um, and having you know let's have seven different personas and different things that the depending on what they click on and what they've said they're interested in survey them and then we'll show them a different say like, but I I don't have the time to make seven it's hard enough to make one homepage never yeah. mind seven um, so automation is good. It's it's fantastic. It allows you to get incrementally better results. But get the basics right first, I would say, on that. And for most of us, if we're in small businesses, we probably don't have the time to do all the fancy automation stuff um, because it is time-consuming. The one yeah. trend I would steer people towards is to worry about inboxing and deliverability um, because that is something that has really been hitting email in the last few years, it's the big email service providers like Gmail, like Hotmail, etc., are tightening up and tightening up about what gets in the inbox. Used to be they would only worry about spam increasingly. And it's, I mean, they're just reflecting their users' desires. You were talking before about your inbox being overloaded. And obviously, the inbox providers don't want you to give up on email um, because you're too overloaded with it. Um, so they want to try and filter out the stuff you don't read all that often. And ideally, have an intelligent where they're heading towards is intelligent inboxes that only show you the the priority stuff you're interested in and maybe you click to another link and you see the other stuff that isn't a priority so gmail at the minute will do that with promotions and it will categorize emails that aren't promotions and promotions and it'll look for things in emails like unsubscribe links that says well this is probably a promotional one um but it's moving the way of being more intelligent and just trying to get you know emails from your mum and your wife and your and your business partners separated away from more general emails there's some of those i'd quite happily add go to the junk mail <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you know I, I find my wife seems to run my she'd complain too much if i ignored hers um <laughs> i'd be in big trouble so so with that with that being the trend and you have to remember that uh, i think i think the statistic is about 40 percent of all email goes through gmail even a lot of corporate emails behind the scenes so my email is ian at ianbrody.com but really Gmail runs that behind the scenes. So a lot of email is Gmail, another bunch is Hotmail, another bunch is you know, Yahoo, et cetera, the, the big ones. Um, and that they really care about making sure that the inbox is only the emails that people really want to see. And a lot of what they base that on now, um, so there's, there's, some, there's some admin stuff. So they're introducing technical stuff um, like DKIM, SPIF, DMARC, all these kind of um, acronyms. Um, I think it's yeah, it's probably Hotmail that will now is now taking anything out of the inbox that hasn't got a DKIM or a DMOC signature. Again, technical stuff. You don't have to worry about it. Oh, you do have to. There's a bloody moth just attacking around. me. Then oh, he gave me a bloody heart attack. I I did. I thought a, it was I some a, new graphic you had, Mark. It was mad. It was mad. <laughs> I did an interview. Oh, six months ago now with a guy in Canada, and a fly appeared from no. It was the middle of winter. Fly appeared. I could not. It was buzzing me. We had a break in 10 minutes as I chased a fly around the house, or the room rather, trying to swat it. It was a nightmare. Anyway, so we talk about technical nonsense. DKIM, SPF, DMARC is stuff that your email service provider will tell you how to deal with, but you do need to kind of get it sorted. And it's basically signing your email so that if it comes from you, um, the, the email marketing email, the people like Gmail and people like Hotmail will know that that's an allowed sender rather than a spammer pretending to be you and pretending to send on your behalf, because that does happen. Um, so get the basics. Do the stuff like, you know, early on, get them to try and whitelist your email by adding you to their contact list and stuff like that. Um, that helps a little bit. But the big one is engagement. 
Um, so the big one is if people are reading or opening your emails, if they're spending time reading them, if they're clicking links to some degree, then the email systems will think, oh, this is a good email. Not only will this get into the inbox of this person more, but this will also get into the inbox of everyone on our system more because we think it's a good email. Um, and correspondingly, if lots of people aren't opening your emails um, are just leaving them or uh, 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 not or anything, actually, if they're just not opening your emails is the primary one, um, or maybe if they're opening and then quickly quitting out of them, typically for you, they'll start putting them in promotions and then into spam, um, but they'll also start doing it for other users of the system. It's like a system-wide metric where depending on the percentage of people who open it, 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 it kind of gets prioritized and into everyone's inbox or out. It's not quite linear like that, um, but that's, that's essentially what happens, which means two things. One is if you can tell that certain people on your email list are not opening and reading your emails, it may be better to stop emailing them um, for your overall de deliverability um, or to email them less frequently. The problem with those of us in long-term businesses is someone could not read an email for two years, then suddenly pop up and buy something. So, you know, you've, you've got that balance. Um, so the way I do it is I email less frequently to people who aren't e opening my emails regularly. Um, and the other thing is you obviously want to be doing things in your email. So the more you can have good subject lines that we've talked about that get people to open them, the more your email can be interesting so they're spending more time reading it, the more you can get them to reply to an email, for example. That's a great signal. So I always have when people sign up for for my email list um, and I send them the freebie, I always, not always, but very often will have an email that follows up a couple of hours later. You know, did you get your free report? Um, if not, it's here. Um, if you got it, please reply and say yes, just so I know you got it. Now, partly that's me being friendly. And so I can reply to them and say, yeah, great. Glad you got it. Um, have you also seen this? But partly it's me being a bit cheeky because now that they've replied to me in their email system, their email system is going to make sure my emails go into their inbox because mm -hmm. they've because it tells them I'm a real human being that they correspond with. So that whole thing about engagement and measuring whether people are opening um, your emails and deprior and sending less to them if they're not, that's becoming a bit more important. Different systems have different tools for for managing that, but it is it, it's not certainly I would avoid just building a bigger and bigger and bigger email list and just emailing blindly and finding your open rates are going down and down and down. And the reason is a lot of people just aren't seeing your emails. It's not that if they saw them, they wouldn't open them. It's because you've got a big bulk of people who aren't interested. The rest of them aren't actually seeing the email at all because on average, the email systems are thinking this is an uninteresting email, not because it is uninteresting, but because you've got a whole bunch of people on your email list who aren't interested in it. Um, and that means the people who would be aren't seeing it. Yeah, I, I mean, it is a it is a bit of a bugger the whole uh, sending it to the junk mail. Whenever I send people invoices, they always seem to end up in their junk mail. Ian, just before we we draw a line under this this fantastic episode, um, we we try and give people a few tips on on what they can perhaps do. We probably covered a lot of them, but just in perhaps a, a bite sized form, what what would be your key tips to anyone who's deciding to go on a, an email marketing journey? Okay, I mean, first first one is um, first one is relax a bit. I think you can get a ball head up and never do anything because you're so worried about getting it perfect. So. So, uh, firstly, prioritize it. So, make sure that if you are going to do it, your sign-up form is very prominent on your website. You do have it prominently under or even better inside your blog post and stuff like that. 
you do send social media traffic to a sign up for your for your free thing. Second thing is have a really good lead magnet, a really good free offer. Um, make sure it's something very practical um, that people can get results from that's suitable for your, you know, who's your ideal client and what would they really appreciate? Usually something that's at the start of their journey. So um, as we said earlier, if you're trying to get someone to take them on a personal transformation, give them a roadmap for what the transformation would look like. If you if you want someone who wants to hire you to help them with marketing, maybe it's a couple of marketing quick wins, a couple of templates they can use to just copy and paste to get some results. And then they'll come to you to help do the bigger, bigger, more valuable stuff, for example. Um, so get get the freebie. Make sure that's really good. Make sure your very first email is a fantastic one to set the tone, to get people going, whoa, I'm going to pay attention. Um, and then think about the subject lines that uh, that we've done. And so with some great, great examples from Crystal Lane about curiosity and getting people interested. But then, as everyone said, to always deliver on what you promise. So make sure your email does give them valuable stuff on a long-term basis so they keep coming back. Um, and that that's the basis. You can then work in your sales messages into there as PSs. You can have the occasional sales and promotional email. People will give you that. If you've been sending them good, valuable emails, they'll, 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 they, they don't mind the occasional promotion. I personally like to wrap a promotion up in a useful tip most of the time. So, so I'll do one raw promotion if I have a new product, but then the follow-up emails will have a tip um, that relates to the thing I'm promoting, and then it'll kind of repeat the promotion. But it, but they'll always, I'll always try and make every email as valuable as I can. And that, that's kind of like your golden, the golden thing. It, the more you can make your emails valuable and interesting to people, the more they're going to keep opening them, no matter what they say. So, uh, so keep thinking value and interest. Uh, have you got any questions, Elaine or Chris, that I've I've missed out? Ian, I I, I tell people on workshops of mine where when I'm talking about the use of language and and hooks, um, I'll I will say to them because I read it or was told it by some guru or other donkeys years ago that odd numbers work better than even numbers in a in a headline apart from the number 10 uh, is that is that something you've heard or is is there any truth in that or i i i think so i think generally speaking for memory then like 3 5 and 7 work better yeah. odd numbers do for some reason tend to work better and if you're trying to if you're trying to make a like a a thing like a formula so what, I sometimes work with people on creating little models to package up their expertise. And if they're going to do it as a, you know, a number of things, for some reason, people tend to remember three, five or seven, especially yeah. three and five, seven, we're all getting even shorter in mem memory. So we get, seven's too many. So if you're doing a model, do three interlocking circles or five pillars or whatever, an odd number seems to work best. Weirdly enough, my youngest son, we have, we have battles um, in the car because when, the, when you turn the car radio, the volume knob, um, I cannot allow it to be on an even number, and he cannot allow it to be on an odd ah. number. So <laughs> every day, so I, if I'm driving, of course, I can only lean over every now and then. He'll immediately switch it back to an even number, and then I'll try and get it back to an odd number. So might not be true for everyone, is I guess what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, Apart from yeah. pointing out how weird my son is, I'm also <laughs> trying to say it might not be true for everyone, but I think generally it's true, odd numbers – um, and especially small odd numbers are more memorable and more interesting. The temperature's one in our car. The temperature has to. The temperature always has to match on both sides. You have the the temperature controls yeah. on different sides. <laughs> my my other half's quite happy for them to be different. That's not working in my life. They, they need to be the same. 
And plus, it's I don't. Re- plus, I don't really. I don't really buy into the fact that one half of the car can be a different temperature to the no, other no, half of the like car. Like an area down the middle. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like a, a mystery <laughs> force field. I think we field. are discovering actually. Though the main thing is that obviously people who work in marketing have some kind of strange OCD <laughs> when it comes to numbers. Lots of issues. Oh, yeah. I I haven't got a question for Ian, but I would like I would like to say at this point is. I do subscribe to Ian's emails and they are absolutely brilliant. So um, a big shout out for you. There are lots of value in them. Always humour. And I always used to uh, open them think, oh, God, I'm sure Ian's in my head today. That's um, And I think you know you're on the right track, don't you, with your emails when people are reading them and thinking they must be talking to me because they know how I'm feeling here. You know what? I think um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a further tip at the risk of, of giving another one is uh, there's a couple of things in there. The kind of the... One is you get better over time. The way to get better at writing is to write. And, you know, if you, if you look at my emails today, and pe- thank you, Elaine, and people do say that kind of thing. But if I look back at my writing from 10 years ago, I think, oh, my God, how did anyone put up with that? But the reality <laughs> is they did. You know, people were okay with it, and now they're better with it. But the but if you wait until you, you can write perfectly before writing, you're never going to get anywhere. The only way you no. can actually get better is to write. Um, mm. And I think the second thing is often – it's not, it's not going to work for everyone, but often if you write about your own problems and frustrations and experiences, it tends to resonate. A lot of experiences are, are, are common across all human beings. So you do, I do get people writing, writing back, see, not just Elaine, writing back, saying, oh, my God, you're in my head. It's exactly what I was thinking today. And it's not because I'm some kind of mad mind reader. It's just that if I'm feeling something about something, so are other people. You know, it's because we, we're, we're kind of very similar under the surface, all of us. And if... Uh, like our, our jokes about QR codes going back to that earlier, um, it's for, you think, I'm the only person who thinks it's a bit weird there's a QR code on the London Underground where you can't get reception. And it turns out, no, I'm not the only person to no. have thought that. Yeah. It's, there, there are a lot of common human emotions. Yeah. Yeah. You've wonderfully segued me on, Ian, to asking you how people can get in touch. How can they find you? How can they sign up to your emails so that you can crawl inside their cranium also in other words well, where's your, where's your qr, QR code, code. Yeah. oh well you need no, one I haven't, now don't I haven't you? Got one. If, you get, if you click the qr code you'll go to Elaine's linkedin profile in a minute but uh if you just go to www.ianbrody.com um and as i said i prioritize people um you know emailing for people so that's the first thing you'll see at the top of the site and you can click the little orange button um and yeah, sign up and you'll get my mar- value-based marketing blueprint, which is kind of a hinted at in one of the principles I like to go by, which is to try and give value first before asking for something. I think, I think I'm seeing nods, so I'm guessing we all kind of follow that. So um, you get that, and then you'll get my regular emails following that. Um, and at the minute, uh, certainly for the last long, as long as I can remember, I email twice a week on a Sunday and a Wednesday. Um, and... Hopefully, it's always a useful hint or tip or something like that. Fantastic. Well, uh, go and check it out, people. Um, if you listen to this show, and I actually supposed to have done it at the beginning, but uh, quite remiss of me, um, you will have guessed on the basis that it's uh, episode 43. There are 42 other episodes to go and check out. Um, <laughs> you can get them on all of the major podcast platforms. So if you go to the podstation.co.uk forward slash goldfish, you'll actually find links to all of those, and it'll save you a lot of headache. Um, or you can just type in 
Goldfish Marketing into the search feature on that platform and it should bring you up. If you subscribe, uh, then every time we upload a latest episode, and we tend to do them fortnightly, um, then it will automatically download onto your device. So you don't even have to worry. You'll wake up in the morning and ta-da, it will be there. It'll be like we've crawled into your brain and realised <laughs> that you needed a marketing tip podcast that just so happened to be on your phone at that time. Um, if you've enjoyed the show, give us a review. It helps the show be seen by a wider audience and then hopefully we can help and assist more people. If you've got any questions, and in particular if you've got any for Ian, um, then you can send us an email to gofish at thepodstation.co.uk. We'll forward them on to Ian and then hopefully he'll decide whether or not he wants to crawl inside your brain and answer those questions <laughs> if it's just fan mail then uh, I might hijack that and put it in my folder and pretend that it's for me instead um, check us out on social media, uh, we're on Facebook Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter it's Go Fish Marketing um, and I think I've just about done all of those so, oh, Siri wanted to gag in, he's clearly telling me just to shut up and move on um, Ian Thank you very much for your time today. It's been a, a fantastic and very fascinating episode. Um, Elaine, Chris, thank you very much for your assistance as always. Thank you, Mark. Good to be here. Very interesting. Thanks uh, for that, Ian. Fabulous. And uh, we'll catch you next time, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye now. Get social at go underscore fish marketing on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter.